Hello, and welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Elias Rosner. And I'm Jana Hill. And today we are, hmm, wait, really? Really, really, really? How did we let this happen? Excelsior. Uh, You're welcome, Jana. I do not even understand. I don't remember agreeing to this. I just feel like I uh, sleptwalked to this point, and now I'm waking up into the real nightmare. That, you know, it happened in the fugue state after we watched Quantumania. I was like, there's a book. And you went, sure. Uh, And then you woke up the next morning and went, oh, no, what devil's deal did I sign? Yeah, like uh, you got me when I was vulnerable. I I couldn't see movies for like a week after Quantumania. I would turn them on (laughs) and just have like trauma flashbacks to watching Quantumania. I had to read books. You know, maybe we did something good for the literary scene with that uh, that movie. I suppose so. I finally finished Gideon the Ninth, which was a delight. Ooh. Get ready for the the sequel. You're gonna you're gonna have fun. I'm looking at it right now. I'm planning on reading it on a plane. Good, good. But and that's before, gonna be a book mm-hmm. I do enjoy. Yes. But now I take it. I not remembering this conversation. You said I kind of want to read that book on the podcast, and I was like, sure. And then you were like, do you want to read the book? And I was like, fuck no. And you were like, I can work with this. <laughs> yeah, that that was uh, pretty much how it went. So the book we are discussing is Look Out for the Little Guy! Exclamation point. The Scott Lang biography. Yes, or autobiography. Memoir? Memoir. Let's go with memoir. Yeah. It is, God help us... As it, it is the book from the movie that he is hawking at the beginning, uh, and they wrote it. It is real. You can purchase this. It has Paul Rudd on the cover doing his best, like, author face. I actually really like the cover. I think it's great and hilarious and is probably the best part of the whole thing. Uh, because Paul Rudd did not write this book, uh, and neither did Scott Lang, although it sounds kind of like Scott Lang's voice. Um, so this was published by Hyperion Books, which is the Disney arm. Uh, and I tried to find information about the actual author. Yeah, that's my first question. Uh, and I couldn't dig anything up. I didn't look too deeply, but I go went to the main book page and I tried Googling the guy's name. His name is Robert Rob Kuttner, uh, but he's not credited anywhere in the book because, you know, it's supposed to be as if it was Scott Lang. There's no copy. It's copyright Marvel. It's not copyright Kuttner because a lot of these books kind of like how the Descendants books work. Most Disney books that are branded as such that are tie-ins are actually copyrighted to Disney or Marvel or whoever instead of the writers. They're basically ghostwriters. Which is true about uh, Marvel Comics as well. Kind of, but at least they get like full credits and you can look it up and, you know, they get written by and they have, you know, descriptions. This is not the case with that. There's not even like a blurb in the back about Rob. Now, I'm realizing that this book actually weirdly lies at the intersection of our two vocations, because as yeah. of, I mean, not as of very recently, but until uh, recent uh, events in the news, I was working in television and film specifically um, with copyright clearances on like props and locations and artwork and things. Mm-hmm. And uh, you working in a library probably uh, 
have some knowledge about uh, like uh, I because I, I've worked in a library too, and I know how the, uh, this sort of Marvel publishing works a little bit. But what's interesting to me is like the kayfabe of forgetting that Scott Lang wrote this book is not legally necessary or important, right? Like um, for a website, you'd have to make sure that there is a website there, and if you say a phone number uh, in a movie. Uh, you're supposed to have something happen when you call that number. If if it's not a five 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 number, hmm, I didn't know that. I, you know, like uh, when Lost was on, you could call a number and it would recite to you the numbers from Lost. It was cool. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. When they, whenever they would like say, uh, sometimes they would have to do that if they said a real phone number. Uh, but you can have a book be a prop and not have it have words in it. In fact, uh, copyright clearance is much easier if you don't actually reference the text because then you can just treat the book as an art object, as a prop, and mm-hmm. um, and you don't have to deal with the, the author at all. It's just the, potentially the cover art or the publisher writes. Oh, wow. That's – I didn't know that. But so if they just had the joke in the movie, oh, I'm Scott Lang, this is my memoir, and they had the cover, they're like, fine, they don't need to do the book. They did it because they wanted to. Yeah, they, they did this – they committed to the bit, which I do appreciate. The only I'm going to go back to the author one last time because the only Rob Cutner I know is Robert Cutner, who is a writer for the American Prospect. Interesting. That's the only Robert Cutner I know of. I don't think the lefty politics blog, uh, not blog, magazine is uh, <laughs> writing the Scott Lang memoir for Disney. I mean, you say that, but it's tough out there for journalists. I guess that's true. Just like you're not getting paid enough from a magazine to, you know, send your kid to college. I'm sure you take Disney ghostwriting work on the side. You probably prefer to be ghostwriting so then people don't uh, it doesn't impact your credibility in your other job. (laughs) Maybe. So that's I'm not making what I just said. I was not making that up out of whole cloth. That is a circumstance I know of personally. Oh, yeah. Like, that is very fair and very possible. Uh, I would like to think that this would be written better if it was by him, because I quite like his writing. Yeah. Yeah, and this was functional. The book is functional, which I don't know if that was on purpose or not, because it feels... They did a very good job of making this book feel like Scott Lang wrote it. Yeah. I think it would have been even funnier if they had it in universe. Scott Lang wrote it like a lot of these celebrity memoirs and yeah. then had a you know a ghost writer write well, it. Wait, did you just say ghost writer? Yes. Ghost if writer be his ghost, ghost writer? writer wrote it. Yes. That is I that is incredibly funny. I'm writing that down on a piece of paper <laughs> and I'm putting it into an envelope and I'm going to take that out when I need it most. <laughs> wow i'm guessing that's funnier than anything in the actual book huh yes which is <laughs> which is quite sad yeah the book is is structured like have you ever read a celebrity memoir yeah i've read cele- I, I, i've on occasion enjoyed a comedian memoir i've uh, read a couple wrestling memoirs in my time okay so i feel like this is more comedian memoir than than wrestling memoir you'd be surprised wrestling memoirs can be quite funny i highly recommend mick foley's book uh I wish I could climb a ladder and elbow drop the whole world. <laughs> That's a great title. It's a great book. And Mick Foley really wrote that. It's funny. Good. Even better. But OK, yeah. So I, I'm just trying to think how to start with this thing. OK, so it's like in the style of a celebrity memoir. 
Um, yeah. Uh, comedian ones. I, like I remember Tina Fey's book was very popular. I recently enjoyed uh, Rachel Bloom had kind of a comedic memoir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very much light like that. Short chapters, interst- interstitials that are, you know, just kind of like goofy gags. Uh, every chapter kind of ends with a platitude or a, a lesson or a moral that kind of a that kind of a thing. It's not mm-hmm. very introspective, like it it pretends to be in a way that like certain celebrity memoirs will pretend to be introspective. And you're reading it you're like, no, this is just like recycled garbage. So when you say this is done in the style of a memoir, is there like a chronology to this? You're really learning. Yes. You like you hear anecdotes about Scott Lang in high school and dropping out of college or whatever. I assume. I wish Uh, we get a little bit of him before, you know, like, how did he end up in jail in the first place? So we get. Do we actually from the movies uh, know the specific we we were like totally vaguely breaking and entering. But do we know what the like who he was robbing and what he was stealing? No, Uh, I mean, we know what he was stealing. We know he was stealing information from the company he was working at Uh, because, you know, it was one of those like positive hacker things and then he was arrested uh i think they had this gag in the movie where it was be you know he ended up getting caught because he drove his boss's car out the window into his pool i have no memory of this this happens in the first ant-man movie yeah the first ant-man movie it's been a minute since i've seen it that was actually in there but yeah we actually get like a, a blow by blow of what did he do how did he do it and kind of why, which is probably the best part of the early, early sections, because the first few chapters are just, you know, most of the book is recapping his time in the MCU. It starts with the first Ant-Man and then it goes to and there's a lot of talk about his relationship with Hank Pym. Sure. Uh, and, you know, he continuously makes mention of basically being tricked into it, but thinking it was great. Right, that's a that's what happened. That all happens in the first movie. Mm-hmm. But okay, so I'm just so what's the chronology of this? So he goes to jail. He gets out at the beginning of the first Ant Man movie. He embarks on a dangerous heist from uh, uh, Corey Stoll's company. Right. Mm-hmm. Then he gets summoned by Captain America to like Berlin to fight in the Civil War on an ugly airstrip. Correct. And he kind of dines out on that story. Oh, and he gets arrested in that movie and taken to what they call the raft in the movie and is kind of literally a raft, but seems comically (laughs) ill-equipped to uh, do the job of a super prison in a superhero universe. Yeah, it's just kind of there. Yeah, and just like uh, we don't even see the scenes of people breaking in and breaking out of it. It's just assumed it's the easiest thing in the world. Yep, pretty much. And I think Cap rescues him at the end. Is that correct? Or Bucky rescues him at the end of... uh, of a civil war um yeah i think i think it was bucky cool i'm into that i like bucky rescuing people so then we get to the events of the best movie in the mcu ant-man and the wasp okay i i'm just gonna take that statement and and keep going i i will uh extol its virtues i, I will ex cory stole its virtues when we get there Ugh. hey you got your yeah that wasn't as good as your joke <laughs> And then at the end of that movie, he gets trapped in the quantum realm for like a mind breaking insane amount of time before being part of the Avengers for Endgame. And then that brings us up to Quantumania. So do the events of Quantumania occur in the in the memoir? 
No, because the memoir was published before Quantumania happens. Okay, I just thought I'd ask because internal logic has not always been the uh, strongest. This is why this book is good. Well, maybe not good, but like didn't make me throw it across a room uh, at the end. But so that's the events of uh, Scott Lang and the MCU, as far as I can hear. I, I, I can imagine. Yeah, and that is pretty much how the book goes. It follows that trajectory uh, through Endgame, and then we get a little bit of afterwards, mostly just like, and then I decide to write this book, or the and that and that's kind of the. I guess the framing device, this book is being published in the Marvel Universe as like the everyman's insider scoop to the blip and the Avengers now that the Avengers are gone. And like he's been tasked by the remaining Avengers to write this book, you know, to tell the story. And yeah, so th- that's why at the beginning of the movie, he's recognized and people are like, hey, Ant-Man, or thank you, Spider-Man. The best joke in the movie, actually. Best joke of the movie. Uh, because he's, you know, the one accessible Avenger. He's the only one that either survived or published you know, and then published the story. Published the story, definitely. What happened to, like, Hulk eating bacon in diners and taking selfies? I mean, that was pre-Endgame. He didn't bat- he didn't talk about battling Thanos. Yeah, yeah, but uh just after the events of Endgame, I feel like uh Bruce Banner would be around as like an accessible celebrity superhero who everybody likes. Yeah. But right, he's like, not publishing a book. Right, he's not publishing a book though. He could. He's supposed to be a smart guy, good at multitasking. I think I think he asked Ant-Man because Ant-Man is of the people. Right, right, right. And no, Bruce no, no, is it like makes Mr. Science Man. Yeah, that that's definitely. I, I I don't deny that that's uh Scott Lang's role, and I approve of uh, the energy Paul Rudd has brought to that character. It even makes the uh, comics character feel a little fresher and have a little bit brighter of a personality. Hmm. Um. I want to ask you some specifics and get into each phase of his life, but I think we should first take a quick commercial break. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow and iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And welcome back. If you always hoped Ant-Man would write a book, you're in luck. I confess, I did not, but I enjoyed it all the same. Dr. Stephen Strange. Ah, uh, weak... So that it, Weak. I, yes, Doctor Strange would never like this book. Doctor Strange is a pretent- pretentious schmuck. <laughs> I mean, you're right. But at the same time, I feel like that's the kind of blurb he would give to get them off his back. Maybe, but I just feel like he would be like, where is this book from? The bestseller list? And then he would sneer. <laughs> he's been he's been uh, worn down by five years without Wong. 
Oh, no, he came back and Wong was Sorcerer Supreme. Right, he blipped. Yeah, he's the, he blipped. Everyone he blipped, blipped on, the, on that planet, but Iron Man, he was very lonely after that. He was very sad. Very I lonely. keep on talking about rewatching Endgame, a movie that I really enjoyed and I've only seen once. It's so long. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, but one day I'm sure I will rewatch it. I'm so, sure. Okay, so Scott Lang. Scott Lang, you had questions. Okay, so I wanted to go through, uh, as I counted, we got the um, Kim getting arrested is one, Ant-Man mm-hmm. Ant-Man is two, uh, Civil War is three, Ant-Man and the Wasp is four, uh, Avengers Endgame is five, and, uh, mm-hmm. that, and that's kind of the phases of the book? Not quite. It, it does jump back and forth a little bit, uh, because he's also... <laughs> The chapters are like around a different theme. For example, this chapter right in the middle, there's, I mean, some of them like from beginning to end game, great fun little title. Uh, I'm trying to find the one that was like, it wasn't go big or go home, but it was something like that. And I was talking about, yeah, no, go big, then go home. Uh Uh-huh. Which is near the end of the book because, you know, he's been talking. He's like, so you will you've heard me talk about what it's like to be small uh, and then, you know, recount all the different phases. But he's like, what was it like to actually go big? And, you know, he spends an entire chapter being like, what's it like to become giant man? So like, like, well, at first I was woozy and it was terrible. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, he, he basically goes through each time in the movies he gets, he gets big. So in, which you can count on like a, on a hand, right? Yeah. He's for, he's got the, here's the, the section titles, giant lab rat, giant in Germany, San Francisco giant, go team <laughs> giant versus Thanos. And then giant final thoughts, because then he, he goes into his, you know, the, the memoir shtick, uh, which ends with to know how to be, how to be big. First, you must remember what it's like to be small. It literally doesn't let me get a big head because I remember how to stay humble. I see. So stuff. So there's like a little bit of like an edge of like self-help in it too. Oh, Yes. Okay, all so throughout. a podcast that I enjoy, not in the comics or superhero world at all, is um, If Books Could Kill. Are you familiar with the show, Elias? Mm-hmm. Um, hosted by Michael Hobbs. And um, I cannot rightly remember. I'm so sorry. I do not mean to disrespect the uh, co-host of If Books Could Kill. I'm quickly go- uh, Michael Hobbs and Peter Shamshiri. Sorry, Peter. I also really enjoy Peter's hosting. But on that show, uh, they're reading... Um, I don't know exactly how to give the whole things a, a category, but it's like uh, books by uh, self-help books or um, books of modern philosophy or lifestyle guides or whatever. And uh, they typically are kind of uh, well-read in the conservative part of America. Mm-hmm. So this book seems like it's trying to be I, – I, I guess there's also the uh, like liberal woo-woo Zodiac uh, crystals version of this. But like, um, it's also like a, a behavior guide of like, uh, uh, following in Scott's, uh, following in his footsteps and his giant footsteps to, uh, so it's all about hu- uh, humility and being humble. Uh, not particularly. That's just like the, that one lesson. He's like, it feels less like the, 
I mean, it 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 is full of the self help kind of thing, but it it feels more geared towards like kids who are reading this. Okay, very much like here's here's a lesson, a life lesson I got, and can you know turn this thing that I do, these these events that have happened, and how do I spin that into something positive, something affirming, or something that you know other people can learn from? Because he's you know he's trying to create that that like internal emotional arc you just actually gave me a whole new context for understanding this book oh how so i well not literally what i'm about to say because of corporate bullshit but this really it sounds to me like something that would have sold out like a scholastic book fair when i was a kid mm-hmm. where like there's a popular movie out and so um the publisher makes sure to have a tie-in book that is mostly the events of the movie geared towards uh, keeping kids reading something and yes. and literate. Yes, yes, yes. And so I, I kept on thinking about this from the perspective of a comic geek and be uh, how could this serve a deeper understanding of Scott Lang's character or, you know, be a fun bit of prose that makes you laugh. But it's that's not really the purpose. It's really kind of like a, for literary instruction through being uh, easy and familiar. Yeah, and the language used in it has that tone and that feel like there's oh where is it i mean there's a fun little section where they just put in a a recap of the events of the end of ant-man but from cassie's perspective and it's framed as cassie lang wrote a an essay uh when she was nine about something that had a huge impact on her and it's written you know in nine-year-old voice and that was very fun and it's annotated with with her dad's thoughts that's cute that i'm was, smiling about that it was I, really cute it was it was successful it was successful it was successful here's uh i'm just gonna give you one one question one uh paragraph please it was a school night I was in bed. Then there was a big crash. I heard mommy scream, and suddenly there was a giant bee guy in my bedroom, but not a cool-looking one like Ant-Man. He was an ugly-looking guy with extra legs and yellow stripes everywhere. He looked like if a giant robot bee got splashed in mustard. <laughs> yeah, that's... And you know, now that I'm thinking about it, um, in Quantumania, uh, Cassie was recast as uh, Catherine Newton. Mm-hmm. Who's an actress who I find very like sunny and uh, good vibe, and just like uh, thinking about oh, Catherine Newton when she was writing this essay when she was nine is pretty funny actually. Yeah, and those are the moments that the make the book work. Out the the recap part, eh, the the every so often there are photos and stills from the movie, but framed as if sud they were like candid photos taken or you know like. They have all sorts of explanations for, like, how did this shot happen? Uh, and there's little captions from Scott underneath. And I enjoyed looking at those. Like, I didn't need to read Scott Lang describe to me the events of Civil War. But it was also kind of fun to see, you know, what was it like from his perspective? So, yeah. I So are, is he mostly, like... I guess there's one version of this I can think of where, like, he's describing where he was at every step of the fight, but not knowing what else was going on where he wasn't. That is pretty much how this is going with every so often he'll he'll come in and be like, and then, you know, there was this thing going on because it was told to him by another Avenger or but like not there's not very much. It's mostly 
his role in the superhero civil war and then like kind of a, a glib description that other people might have heard about on the news uh with a little bit extra detail thrown in so it's successful as a piece of fiction within the fiction like i never felt like this was being written by someone who had watched the movies i felt like it was some guy who was working with scott lang writing it that I see why you're uh, you craved some like a, an in-universe uh, ghostwriter because that would actually yeah. make this make a little bit more sense. Yeah, I, I wish Leonard Sampson might do it. He seems like he's always publishing tell-all books. <laughs> he would. It would be fun. Uh, I'm trying to see if I can find like one good. Well, so I'm thinking book. through. Are, did you get any emotional insight? There's a couple of moments, I guess, in that. Ant-Man is poorly served by like the larger Avenger series. So like one of those is um, we later find out he was like very proud to be uh, contacted by Captain America to fight in the Civil War. But like, uh, mm-hmm. do you get any more uh, nuance to his reaction to that moment? I don't know if nuance is the right word, but more. He talks more about his um, his time there because he also kind of describes his, you know, He's like, hey, I went to jail and then I went to jail again, but this time for fighting with Captain America. He's like, I mean, if you're going to be fighting against Captain America, you, gotta, you should, probably should be fighting with him. So let's see. So I'm he's just like simping the... hard for Captain America. I get it. Yeah. Um. The, uh, the other moment I feel like uh, the movies didn't dwell on for reasons that make sense that I would be interested in is um, – how did it feel to be trapped in the quantum realm for five years? Weird, but he says that his time in the quantum realm felt like just a few hours because time is weird down there. Yeah. He was like, okay. I was falling for a few hours and I popped out again. And he was like, and then I found out it was five years. I went home. I saw Cassie and was just like devastated that I'd lost five years with with my baby girl. I'd already lost time in jail once. I'd lost time in jail a second time. That's another through line is like he he's like, I think trying to also do that, like stay in school kids vibe because he's like, you don't want to miss out on these life events with the people you care about, which okay. I did. Scared straight, kind of. Yeah, but he's like, I would not. He's still like, I wouldn't change my decisions because he's like, I think I felt like I did them for the right reasons, but also try not to go to jail. He's like, I probably shouldn't have driven that car through the door. That was a bit excessive. I could have just redistributed the money I stole. I didn't need to do all that flashy stuff. That's where my ego got me. I'm like, that's a that's a nice little detail. Yeah, I OK, I got one more question about um, okay. just something that I would expect or hope for in a book like this. OK, uh, but I actually now that I'm thinking about it, I'm assuming is impossible. But do you <laughs> get any like tantalizing hints as to other connections or things to come? Not really. I think I just get the feeling that, well, it's definitely like hinting at Quantumania. Just God. Does he the, like he mentions Kang in the quantum realm? No, no. 
but he he's like, and Janet was trapped in the quantum realm. There's nothing there. Absolutely nothing. It's completely empty. There's no way there's anything there. Janet would have told us, except she gets really weirdly quiet every time we ask her about it. Wow, that's irritating and not very practical. No. No, it's not. Doing Michelle Pfeiffer so dirty. And I think this was them trying to write around that stupid script. I Yeah, to- that's a tall order for anybody. It's unfortunate, God. though, because I feel like... Oh, well, this is always uh, my my criticism is all tied around to the same trunk here. But like if you're doing the comic thing where everything is connected and anyone can drop by in anybody else's series, mm-hmm. that only works if like you're doing that like um like, OK, so <laughs> Jimmy Woo is in um, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yes. Right. He played by Randall Park. Do I have that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's him. Delightful. I, where I, Randall Park is, I think, is doing a voice on a Blue Eye Samurai, and he is so scary. Um, which is not a mode I had seen him in or heard of him before. Oh wow! But so Jimmy Woo showed up, and just just like an FBI guy who had some personality in Ant Man and the Wasp. I like his presence in that movie, but he's not really Jimmy Woo, and there's no other connections to like Jimmy Woo shit. And I feel like if there really was a plan and they're like a story that they were telling instead of just like weird branding exercises to sell sneakers and lunchboxes. Mm hmm. That like uh, Jimmy Woo should show up in this. He's kind of a character who could get fleshed out in some of the uh, this material. But they're like saving him, I guess, for a movie they never intend to make. Yeah, there there really aren't many of the uh, incidental characters mentioned. You know, Hope is there. She plays a big part in the book. Hank is there. She plays a big part in the book. Cassie. But beyond that, eh, not so much. None of the other none of the other incidentals, which is a shame because, again, I like Jimmy Woo, too. It's also a memoir. So it's it's not doesn't have a lot of dialogue. It doesn't have any dialogue. It's all narration. But this is like I, I know a lot of people are now criticizing um, the approach to Star Wars. And I admit a lot of the uh, Star Wars stuff on my television is not very high quality. Mm-hmm. But like when I was a kid, there was something to um, scenes that happened between the scenes. All those books that were like telling you the backstory of all the aliens at the Mos Eisley Cantina or what Han, how Han Solo didn't do the Kessel Run or whatever. And I always liked mm-hmm. that because I knew it was always there. And for the most part that like there was one telling of each of those stories and not a million things contradicting each other. There was like enough oversight to at least accomplish that. Yeah. But but like you knew when you're going to read a book that you were going to like learn more about those characters who showed up for one scene. But the MCU is so um, like greedy for um, mining all the IP and getting all the value out that they don't use any of it. <laughs> and then like, uh, because the, the entire point to this book to me now would have been having a fun side adventure where between the movies actually uh, Scott did a lot of shit with Jimmy Woo. That could have been fun. And um, it's it not could've. like they're making a Jimmy Woo movie or an agents of Atlas movie or the other agents of Atlas as a movie. <laughs> it's just like uh, we I, there was the moment a moment where it seemed like every single character was going to get a movie. Alfred was going to get a movie. He got a TV show, actually. <laughs> the Batmobile was going to get a movie. It got a TV show, actually. The Batmobile? Batwheels. Fuck. There you go. <laughs> I, I was joking. Um, I was, in fact, uh, stealing a joke from Teen Titans Go to the Movies. 
don't try don't try uh yeah i uh that was dark but yeah i that's that's the approach that is wrong here and that's what as like a comic fan who was into these characters before these movies were a thing Mm -hmm. that was what was appealing to me about the movies and what they've kind of lost is that um uh you know there's a scientist in age of ultron whose last name is cho and from all contexts you can kind of assume she's amadeus cho's mom no. Likewise, uh, there's a background wizard in the first Doctor Strange movie, last name Minoru. Uh, that's fun. Maybe connected to Nico Minoru. And like, but th- that's uh, not a connection they make in the Runaways show that they did. And that's not something. Say. And that's not something they do in one of these books that I'm sure they did. Like uh, Nico's there's diary. There's probably a reason for that lack of connection in Doctor Strange, which I don't know if you can hear the sound but we might be getting to soon with the sound of air quotes no the sound of a a giant heavy book oh yes because uh you want to start teasing um another book we're going to be reading a book that i'm very excited to learn about knowing very little at this point yes and unlike the mcu cliffhangers we're actually going to follow this one up (laughs) and soon yeah so next time we are, or rather, uh, half of we are going to be reading the book that is, I think it's just titled MCU, right? By Joanna Robinson? Yep. MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios. Um, let's dive, wait, by, I want to mm-hmm. tease this up a little bit more. So it, uh, from what I know about jo- Joanna Robinson, is this from the perspective of being critical about Marvel's impact on the art form and business of making films? Yes and no. It's less of a critique and more of an oral history. Okay. I love oral histories. That's a great approach. Yeah. And we'll get into all, we'll get into it, its shortcomings and its successes, you know, when we discuss the book, but it is definitely, I think to put cards on the table early worth a read, but we're going to discuss it. We're going to discuss some bits and pieces of it. Um, and I should note there are actually three people credited for this. Joanna Robinson, Dave Gonzalez, and Gavin Edwards. They're the three names on the book. Uh, I think it, it's written mostly from, I think, Joanna Robinson's voice. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to learning uh, something I know a lot about, but I'm sure there's more to learn. Yes. Uh, so we must say goodbye to look out for the little guy. And I was my final thought is I'm just sad that we didn't get more like young Scott Lang. We didn't get a description of him as as child, as a teenager. None of that was really here, which is, you know, a little sad. I guess they want to save it for the inevitable prequel uh, miniseries they make on epics. Yeah, but they'll never make on epics. They will film it and then put it in a vault somewhere and write it off as a tax break. <laughs> Zlazov. <laughs> We've gotten way too cynical about this. Quick, we got to wrap it up. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I've, been, I've been working in this d- dysfunctional industry for uh, a couple of years now. Oh, boy. Yeah. So in the meantime, Elias, where can folks find you if uh, they want more of your scintillating opinions? They can find me writing at multiversitycomics.com. Uh, if you want to read some non-Marvel stuff, I have I read all of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics or almost all of them, and I wrote a bunch of lists. They're really fun. You should read my my articles, especially the one where I find out about the official TMNT porn comic. Yeah. The story behind that one is wild. 
Uh, uh, Wowzer. Yeah, I would like to yeah. be a guest on that podcast and learn about that, too. <laughs> uh, and you can also email me at erosner at multiversitycomics.com. Well, what about you, Jaina? Um, you know, if you've been listening to the show recently, you know I've become kind of uh, digitally reclusive. But uh, if you search for Rambling Moose on some platforms and find me, uh, that I'm usually Rambling Moose. And uh, I've been posting on Tumblr and Letterboxd recently. That's about it. Thank you all for coming. This episode was edited by Livian Safir. Our theme music is Excelsior by Carol Romo. And until next time, Excelsior. Thank you.